Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is Colossians chapter 3, so you can begin looking that up now. This sermon was recorded live at Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and the preacher is Ben Nelson the New Testament lecturer at the Presbyterian Theological College in Melbourne. I'll read Colossians 3 now, and then we'll cross to the sermon. If, then, you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, as man pleases, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Well, uh, I'm very delighted to be with you here today. It's lovely to be able to share in God's Word with you. I'm actually going to be doing a bit more of a topical sermon today. 
rather than just a straight uh, sermon on a passage, although we will be referring to Colossians 3 as we move through God's word today. Now, I've been doing a series at my own church. We don't have a minister at the moment in South Yarra, so I'm finding myself wearing about three or four hats at the same time. And I've been preaching a series on worship, particularly the public worship of God's people together as we praise our God. We've looked at the fact that we're part of a heavenly reality when we do that. And we've looked at how God's word rules what we do in worship. And how we are dialoguing with God. It's not just us speaking to God. God is speaking to us. And that's what the preaching of God's word is. And then we've been looking at all the different elements or acts or things that we do in our worship. And I thought today I would talk to you about singing. About singing God's praises together. Now I'm not here going to be talking about the particular style in which we sing. I'm not going to be here talking just about old songs or about new songs. I want us to think theologically. I want us to think from God's word about what it is that we are doing when we sing to God, especially as his people gather together. I think it's really important for us to do that because if there's any part of what we do in our public worship that has the potential to be shaped more by the culture around us and by our own uh, preferences rather than God's word. It's probably singing. Maybe preaching is another one. But singing. Because we live in a world where music is a major industry, don't we? where it's packaged and commercialised in all sorts of different ways. And that can be traditional music and it can be contemporary music. Across the whole spectrum, it's a massive industry, isn't it? And what happens when you have a big industry controlling something? They often control the way you think about it without you consciously reflecting on it. So I want us to... Look at the grand sweep throughout, history, throughout the scriptures, throughout the Bible of what God says about singing his praises. And you've got a, an outline that I've given to you there. It's in the, is that separate little sheet in the um, leaflet for today. And so that can give you a bit of guidance as we're going through what I'm going to speak about today. You notice there, as it says secondly on that outline, I want us to think about Singing God's praises right from creation all the way through to the new creation. All those eternal, heavenly realities that we're heading towards and going towards. It's important for us to see that there was song right at the beginning. You may not notice it in Genesis 1, but Genesis 1 is not the only passage in the Old Testament that talks about the creation of the world. Job. Job there, when God finally confronts Job with a series of unanswerable questions. Where were you? He says to Job. When I created the world, when I laid its foundations. 
It says there in Job 38 verse 7, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. The sense in which all the heavenly bodies, in a sense, are like a chorus of praise to God. So the scriptures are, are not shy of talking about music and the praise of God even in creation. You think about Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Are they doing that out of tune? I don't think so. That's a chorus of praise. Day utter speech to day and night to night and the sound, the word of God goes out across all the world by the created order. Isaiah chapter 55, talking about our rejoicing in our redemption, talks about creation getting alongside us. You shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. What does he then say? The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. All the trees of the field, the mountains and the hills. Singing is there at the beginning. Singing is not some imposition. It's something that we've just created because it amuses us or encourages us or delights us. It's there before we were made and it comes from the hand of God himself. So God has even structured this world that it returns praise to him. In the Song of the Whales... In the song of the birds. Even in the, that strange harmony you get as the wind goes through a forest. There's praise to God. Isn't that a wonderful way to look at this world, isn't it? Now, our culture so often looks on the world as something which is a meaningless formation out of chance. That's not very musical. That would be out of tune. That would be a cacophony of sound. If that's all it is, but this world is made by a loving and wise and all-powerful God and he's purposed it all to bring him glory. It comes from him and it reflects him and returns in praise to him. And that's what we call harmony. The beautiful harmony of all that God has done. And isn't that a musical thing? We need to remember that. There is no accident that those who worship the true and living God should reflect that in singing in their praise. That's the harmony of it all. What's the melody? Well, that's the second point here, isn't it? The melody, the story of this song is God's wonderful redemption because, as we know, the great tragedy of our past is that we rebelled against that God who had created all things wisely and well. And we thought that we knew better. And we did not listen to his commands. But we disobeyed and we turned our faces from him. But God did not leave us there, did he? But we have that wonderful thread, that golden thread of salvation running throughout the whole Bible. And obviously it reaches a crescendo in Jesus Christ. But the melody line of that salvation is there already. Think about that great saving act of the Old Testament. God takes Israel 
out of the land of slavery and to his promised land. He takes them from Egypt and he deals with their enemies. And what happens? Remember when they cross the Red Sea and then the waters of the Red Sea close over Pharaoh and his armies. What do the people of God do? They respond in praise. It's one of the great songs of praise that we have outside of the Psalms. And you remember at the close of that great song that Moses and the people of Israel sang, Miriam, Moses' sister, and all the women came out and they sang a chorus as well. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. God saves and what do his people do? They sing. We need to understand that, that in salvation, what is God doing? He's making you, you no longer belong to yourself, you belong to him now. You're his people. You're no longer marked by your will and your plans. God has made you his now. And it's wonderful, you see it over and over again. What do the people of God do? They sing. Yeah, that wonderful line in Psalm 40. It's one of my favourite psalms, Psalm 40. Remember, where are you at the beginning of Psalm 40? There you are, you're stuck in the miry clay. You're stuck in the pit. Everything is closing down around you. There seems to be no hope. There is no ability that you have to dig your way out of it. And what does God do? He comes and he plucks you out of the mud, out of the quicksand out of the dungeon, out of the pit, and he puts you on a rock. He's put my feet on a rock. And that speaks so beautifully of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? He's the rock of our salvation. We plant our feet on the rock. But then what does God do? As soon as he plants your feet on the rock, we have it there in the handout, what else does he do? He puts a new song in your mouth to praise our God. And notice there, that song tells God's story to others as well. It's evangelistic. Even there in the Old Testament, we have evangelism, don't we? Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord because of that new song in our mouths as we're placed on the rock of our salvation. God saves, we sing. God creates and the creation sings and then he restores us to himself and so we sing. And you see that no more wonderfully worked out and expanded than in the biggest book of the Bible, the hymn book of the Bible, the Psalms. It's the great hymn book that God has given us, isn't it? 150 songs there. Now, many of them come from David, don't they? God's great chosen king. One of the great figures of the Old Testament that points forward to Jesus. Jesus is the son of David. And who is, and apart from ruling a great kingdom, how do we know David best? As the writer of sung praise. As the one that God, through whom God has given us the Psalms with which to praise him. 
And it's striking, isn't it? There's David singing about his experience and what God has done for him. But then his songs become the songs of all the people, not just David. And you know where they sing them? They sing them in the temple while the sacrifices are being offered up, while the praise of God is being offered up through sacrifice and music and prayer. Isn't that interesting? We have King David and his psalms are sung in the temple. Isn't it wonderful to see all these different things that we know you put them all together and who do they preach? Who do they point to? They point to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not just our king, he's our priest. And what do we have in those songs? We have wisdom and we have promise and we have instruction and we have praise. Jesus is our prophet. Prophet, priest and king. And they're all bound together. Where? In the hymns of the Bible. In the songs of the Bible. In the Psalms. The Psalms should not be a closed book for us. We don't just read them at funerals. We, don't just, we shouldn't just read them when we have no time to read any other part of the Bible. We might just do a little bit of a devotional reading from Psalms. None of those things are wrong. All of those things are wonderful. But we shouldn't neglect the Psalms. We should see them as a manual of praise for the people who are commanded to praise because they've been saved because they've been bought by God for himself. And that's why they continue to be sung in the synagogues after the temple and on into the church as well. But we see other songs like that too, even in the New Testament. That mighty song that Mary sang, for example. There she is. In a sense, the living temple of Christ. Christ is in her. And Little baby John in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy because he's in the presence of his Lord. And what does Mary do? The living temple. She sings glory to God. My soul magnifies the Lord for he has done bountifully with his maidservant. Isn't that amazing? There, the the natural thing for Mary to do, carrying her Lord in her womb, is to sing God's praises. And Jesse just said, it's wonderful, isn't it, how the providence of God brings all these different things together. Jesse was just talking from numbers, wasn't he? About the fact that God's presence is with us. Well, there you have in Mary, if you like, like a little microcosm. She had the Lord with her, and what does she do? She sings. And so we should sing as well. So our sung praise is an expression of the fact that Jesus is amongst us to save us by his spirit. And then that goes on forward, doesn't it, into the new covenant. I mean, into the new heavens and the new earth. And we need to remember that too, that praise does not end now. That's important to think. You think about all the different things we do in worship. You know, when we're in heaven, when after the resurrection, when we're all joining together in that marvellous marriage feast of the new heavens and new earth with our Saviour as his bride, the church, in New Jerusalem, we probably won't be still handing around the collection plate. We probably won't still have a board of management to manage the fabric of this building. We won't probably necessarily need any more Jesse to give us wonderful series of expository sermons as important and good as they are 
But there's one thing that we do now that we still will be doing. And that's singing. That's singing. The sung praise of God will extend and go on and on into the new heavens and the new earth. What do you see there in Revelation 4 and 5? You have that great heavenly throne room scene. The people of God assembled, the elders, and all the justified, all of those, and the hosts of heaven. And what are they singing? And we know what they're singing. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive honour and glory and power. Worthy is the Lamb. Notice that. Their song acknowledges what happened, the cross. And yet it's transformed now by the glory. But the singing continues. So you need to see that then, don't you? That the sung praise of God extends from his creation through the story of our salvation and on and on into the new heavens and the new earth. That's a context in which we are to think about singing in church and out of church as well. The sung praise of God. There's a couple of things I think that we can say just at this point. I'm going to be looking at Colossians 3.16 in a bit more detail, but a couple of things to say just at this point. One is... The sung praise of God belongs to God. Notice there, it starts with his creation and then it goes on with him saving us and then it goes on into him restoring us and renewing us for the new creation. It's not as though the people of Israel, there they were by the shores of the Red Sea It's not as though they were having to do sort of like the opposite of a rain dance. That they were having to somehow desperately do a lot of pounding of the earth and singing and and shouting in in order for God to do something. It was God who acted, wasn't it? It was God who, through his mediator Moses, stretched out his staff over the waters of the Red Sea and they divided and the people went through safe. And so when did they sing? Did they sing in order to get God to do something? No, they did not. They sang because God has done his great work of salvation. And that's why you should sing as well. The song belongs to God. And it's according to his purposes. It's according to his initiative. It's according to his agenda. And that means then that it's not ultimately belonging to us. And it's not to be governed by what we think is important. There's a lot of ways in which we use singing in church, isn't it? Which is not necessarily God's agenda. Some of us use singing simply to make ourselves feel comfortable. It's what we've always sung. Or it's a tune that we like. Or it reminds us of other things that we like. Associations that we have in our mind and in our heart. Sometimes we use song because we think that's the most attractive thing that people will like. We think that that will draw them in. Sometimes we don't like song at all because we find it hard and we feel embarrassed 
And we sort of think, well, why in an Australian context would we sing? Because Australians don't often like to sing and find it uncomfortable to sing, especially if they're not in churches. Why do we do this? The problem is, in all of those different ways, even if those, some of those things are good, we're starting with ourselves, aren't we? We're starting with what we feel comfortable with, whether it's nostalgia or attraction or any other raft of reasons we might have to sing. And we forget that, no, this song belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to one generation. It doesn't belong to one place. It doesn't belong to one culture. It doesn't belong to any, any priorities that we might have. But we are being shaped here by God himself for his praise, for his honour, for his glory. We've been, we are to sing because we are reminded of what Christ has done. We are to sing because Christ is with us. We are to sing because we look forward to what we will be in him one day. And that's why we sing. But that brings us then to uh, some instruction that the Apostle Paul gives us about this sung praise as well. And that comes from our chapter today, chapter 3. But I wanted to look at that overview first of all that God has said about our sung praise together. Look what it says there in chapter 3, verse 16. It says there, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I want you to notice there the first words that are in that that verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Christ dwelling in us richly through his word. Now, we can if we we can read that phrase, can't we, to think, well, we've got the word And our songs come from the word. And so that's the way in which we come in contact with Christ. And that is true. But I think there's an even deeper meaning here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. How does does the word dwell in us? It's by the spirit, isn't it? And who does the spirit bring us? Jesus Christ. So this is not just about singing about Jesus because we've got correct songs that come from his word. There's something even deeper than that. What we really have here is that Christ is in us and with us as we sing together. Christ is in us and with us. Think about what it says at the start of Colossians 3. When Christ, who is our life, appears, our life is hidden with Christ in God. That is where our true life is. Not the life that we see, but where our true life is, in Christ himself. And then he says, let that word that brings us that life dwell in us richly. Richly, meaning in all sorts of different ways. Fully and abundantly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns. Notice there, so Christ is with us in sung praise. 
That's an astonishing and holy and terrifying reality, isn't it? And when we're gathering together, we're not just crooning about Jesus. We're not just satisfying ourselves and our songs. Christ is in us and with us by his spirit. And he is joining us to that heavenly chorus that is continuing on age after age after age. So therefore, if that's the case, then it must be his word that directs our praise, mustn't it? It must be his word that directs our praise. And you see that, don't you? There should be wisdom, teaching, instruction, or admonishing and warning. Discipleship in our songs. The songs are not just there to give you a vibe or to give you a a mood, to give you a, a sensation. The songs are there to implant wisdom in you, to teach, to instruct, to shape in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, we definitely know what the psalms are, what the hymns and the spiritual songs are. There is good argument to be made. These are alternative names for the psalms themselves. I'm not completely convinced by that. But there's a good argument you can make that all these three terms are referring to the Psalms. But even if they aren't, even if they're going beyond the Psalms, the Psalms are still at the heart of them, aren't they? And there are other songs which are Psalm-like. And we find them in the New Testament, like Mary's song, for example. And other songs we can find. But what is true about all of them, they tell us richly about God's truth, his wisdom. And they also apply to all parts of life, don't they? And that's really crucial. Our sung praise should be full and deep and varied and touch on all the areas of life. I'm not always sure that we get there, do we? We tend to have our short little list of our personal favourites the ones that make us feel good. But Christ is in us by his preaching and Christ is in us in our singing. And that singing is to instruct us and shape us and lift us away from what we just feel comfortable with and draw us into all the wealth of wisdom and grace in Christ himself. So we are to sing when we're sad and we're to sing about things which are terrifying and to sing about God's grace, but also of God's judgment, of great God's holiness, and also of his horror of sin. We're to sing across the whole gamut of the Christian life. You know, Psalm 88, you take, for example, Psalm 88. I suspect you've probably never sung Psalm 88 in church. I've never. Well, I did. went a couple of times when I was a kid because I was in a psalm singing church. Psalm 88 has not a single positive line in it, except the fact that it's sung to God. And yet God has still appointed a psalm like that for our praise. Isn't that an astonishing thing? But isn't there a time for each and every one of you here that you cannot think of a single positive thing? Isn't that true of you? It's true of me. You could be in the depths of the grip of a deep depression. You might feel as though all light and life and health have fled away. That there's nowhere you can turn to. 
And that's your experience and that's my experience and what has God given? He's given you a way in which you can still dwell richly in Christ in sung praise. There's a song for sad Christians to sing as well as for joyful Christians, as well as for hopeful Christians, as well as for energetic Christians. There is a song for the weak and the helpless. And we need to recover that, don't we? We need to have, we need to embrace all that God wants us to sing about. And we sing to him. And it's through his word. And then finally, he transforms us by his spirit in that praise as well. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. There's a mighty mystery in our singing. And that's where I think in the Reformed and Presbyterian tradition, it's important for us not to lose the simplicity with which we do things. Because if we think the only way in which sung praise can be truly honouring to God is if we have a massive choir and a most beautiful organ and an incredible orchestra and a perfectly acoustically arranged interior... And if you're of another taste, you've just got the best band and a smoke machine and glittering lights, whatever you like, and both sides fall into the same trap, we think that we have to clothe it externally to make it majestic. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't sing in tune. It's a wonderful thing to sing in tune. It's a wonderful thing to be able to sing well and to play well. That's all wonderful. And to sing heartily and sincerely. But notice here, where is the true majesty of our sung praise? It's in faith, by the Spirit, internally, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. Being a changed person in your song. Being a new creation in your song. Being joined to Jesus in your song. By his Spirit in your song. And if you can't manage to hit the right note, God be praised, you are still in him by his Spirit. And that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And that's the song I want to hear. I don't want to hear a song that is beautiful on the outside but has no grace in the heart for God. Nor do I want to see people with mouths shut and, in, and refusing to sing because they haven't realised the, the way in which they have been saved by Christ and therefore need to open their mouths in his praise. And let us rejoice in that together. And let us take up the words of Colossians and let's take up the example of all of Scripture and praise him in our songs, looking forward to our heavenly home where we will continue to sing into eternity. And that's what we're fitted for, isn't it? Well, may God be praised. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this great privilege that we can sing together to your praises. And may you be glorified in all that we do together. In Jesus' name. Amen. That was Ben Nelson preaching live at Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church. And I'm Jesse Walls, and I pray that you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. 
You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.